Dear God, we thank you that you are our Emmanuel. You are God with us. Pray that um, you would be with us right now, that you would guide me as I speak your word, and that you would soften all our hearts so that we might meditate on your word and really know you more through it. Pray this by faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'd like to start with a question. Um, because it's COVID, I won't have you ask each other, but I'd like you to think about it in your minds. Uh, Zahao, if you could bring up the first slide. So my question is, what are you waiting for right now? You think about this in your mind. Maybe it's in your personal life, at work, at home, in your faith. What are you waiting for right now? Right, now I have another question for you. you. Bring up the next slide, and that is, what feels like it's taking too long? What did you think about that? <laughs> Many things. All right, thank you. Um, we just go to the next slide. I wanted to ask you those questions because we're talking about a time of waiting today, but a time of active waiting. As you heard in the reading from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. But it's a strange time of waiting because John is calling the people to repentance and a different kind of baptism. And we today are also in a time of waiting, a time of waiting for Advent before we celebrate Christmas and our Emmanuel, our God with us. So let me set the scene for this passage today, looking at Luke. Luke was a physician. Sometimes later in life, he also hung out with the Apostle Paul. And an important thing to know about Luke is that he was the only Gentile author in the Bible. And that's important because he really emphasizes how Jesus comes not just to save Israel, but to save all of God's people. And at the start of this passage today, Luke lists a bunch of names. Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysanias, Annas, Caiaphas, before he gets to the more important name for us, which is John, son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. So why does Luke spend all this time giving all these names? I would say they're not actually meant to be skipped over, as I did when I was preparing in the beginning for this sermon. He gives all these names because he's setting up the story of John and of Jesus, and he wants to set it up in the context of world history. So with these names, he's not just giving us a date, which would be about 29 AD, but he's setting the scene for a specific society and climate. And he's setting John's ministry, he's setting Jesus' ministry against the background of the Roman Empire and the political situation at the time. And he gives this list of names in descending order of power. So he starts with the reign of Tiberius Caesar. Tiberius Caesar's reign was not a good time for the Jewish people. Tiberius was a nervous ruler. He's remembered for having numerous trials for sedition and treason and for deporting the Jews from Rome. And after Tiberius suffered a personal tragedy, his mental health declined and his final years were characterized as a period of pure terror. 
Next, Luke gives us Pontius Pilate, who we also meet later in the Gospel story. And Pontius Pilate was known as an inflexible and relentless ruler. One commentator I read said his administration was marked by briberies, insults, robberies, outrages, wanton injuries, frequent executions without trial, and endless savage ferocity. So when Luke introduces Pilate, he's adding to that growing sense of tension. And then we get to Herod. Herod was known for building a capital city on unclean ground. It was a graveyard before, and he called that city Tiberias. Herod was loyal to Rome. We know that eventually he later imprisoned John and had him beheaded. So I won't go through every name in Luke's list here, but you can see that he's establishing this as a time of dread and darkness. Another commentator I read said that all the men Luke mentions in his list represent corruption, greed, and the irresponsible wielding of power. So this sets a really dark and foreboding time for the start of Jesus's public ministry. But before Jesus comes John, appearing out of the wilderness. And when we last saw John in the book of Luke, he was a tiny baby. He was eight days old, being held in his father's arms, while Zechariah sang a prophecy over him. And I, I was trying to imagine John as a baby, as a child, before he became a man. And I, I found this painting that imagines John as a child. If we could bring it up. This is, yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's, it's called St. John in the Wilderness, or St. John the Baptist in the Wilderness by Joshua Reynolds, painted in 1776. And I love it because he looks so intense. You know, this isn't a man on a mission. This is a child on a mission. And he will have a message to share with us. So when we come to John in Luke chapter 30, he's now a grown man, still pretty intense. He's about 30 years old. And he's emerging from the wilderness with a message of repentance on his parched, lip, parched lips. And the way John is painted in the Gospels makes me wonder if, as a grown man, he wouldn't have scared small children, let alone the adults who came to listen to him. But the word of John has come, or the word of God has come to John in the desert, and he has a message to share. And this is how Luke identifies John as a prophet in the grand tradition of prophets in the Old Testament. And then he, he brings in some action. He says, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. And so he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the start of John's public ministry. He's received the call. He has been empowered as a prophet. And the people hear John preaching this baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins, and they wonder, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the long sought after Christ? Remember, they've been waiting expectantly for a savior through this time of dark and dread and tension. But we know John is not the Messiah. He's a prophet who has come to prepare the way for the Messiah. The commentator William Barclay calls John the courier of the king. I think it's really appropriate because during this time, when a king wanted to tour part of his dominion, he would send a courier out ahead and say, 
hey, everybody, get the roads ready so that they're fit for the king to travel over so he doesn't have a bumpy journey. And if you think about it, it's, it's not all that different from when royalty visits Canada now, right? If a city knows the queen is coming to a certain part, they will make sure those roads are clean, they're repaired, the garbage is collected, flowers are blooming along the way. The queen never seems to visit in winter. Here, John says, the king is coming. But he says, mend not your roads, but your life. He knows that Jesus is coming to be much more than an earthly king. And John is calling the people to make their lives fit for the king to see. So how do you prepare your life for the king to see it? Well, as John says, you repent. And you know, I think we hear that word repent and repentance so much in church that sometimes it can lose its power and its specificity. So I looked it up because I thought, you know, I think I can say this word without thinking about what it really means. And I found a dictionary or a, a definition in the dictionary, the Cambridge Dictionary that I really like. And it's to be very sorry for something bad you have done in the past and wish that you had not done it. To be very sorry for something bad you have done in the past and wish that you had not done it. I love how, how simple that is. It, it brings it to life for me again. And this idea of repentance is an essential part of John's message. You know, he has come to proclaim the Messiah is coming. So you need to repent of your sins so that you can receive forgiveness. And of course, it sounds so simple, but it's much harder when it comes to each of our own hearts. So John is calling the people to this baptism of repentance while they're waiting for the Messiah. This is what I call the active waiting. There's something to do while you're waiting. But remember, John is a man suddenly appearing out of the desert with parched lips. He eats locusts and wild honey. I would guess that every day was a bad hair day for John. And he's calling people to do something very strange. He's calling for them to let him baptize them in the Jordan River as part of their repentance for sins. And the Jewish people at the time would not have been familiar with this kind of baptism at all. As far as they knew, baptism was just for Gentiles who wanted to convert to Judaism. And, but as we hear later, John's call struck a chord in his listeners' hearts. His ministry was popular. Even though he didn't spare his listeners' feelings, he goes on to call them a brood of vipers, among other things. But here, basically, John is calling the people to turn their lives around before Jesus comes, before the whole world gets turned upside down. And they can do that through the baptism of repentance. So Luke has John putting that call out there, and then he suddenly quotes the prophet Isaiah. Can we bring up the slide, please, Sahel? He quotes Isaiah saying, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. So why does Luke do this? Why does he suddenly put in a passage from Isaiah? To me, as a writer, it would make more sense to keep going with the narrative of crazy John calling the people to have repent and be baptized. 
Well, the commentators I read say that Luke is using this passage to establish John as a true prophet. You know, he's giving a direct voice from scripture here that gives a witness to John's role. And when Luke quotes Isaiah saying, prepare the way for the Lord, by Lord, he means Jesus. But I think that Luke also had a more subtle reason and a more subversive reason for quoting Isaiah here. Just picture all this crazy imagery. You know, there were no straight paths in Isaiah's time. There were no excavators or controlled explosives or smooth asphalt. The road followed the mountain or the valley or the contour of the rock hard land that was already there. And then, and Isaiah says, every mountain and hill shall be made low. Well, there's no moving a mountain. Imagine if the mountain above us, Mount Royal, imagine if it was suddenly made low and it sank into the ground. You'd stand at the edge of it and you'd look down at a little lake, maybe a chalet way down at the bottom. It wouldn't be nearly as exciting for tourists, but it's really hard to get your brain around, isn't it? The mountain being made low, it's impossible. And the same thing goes for this imagery in Luke's account of John starting his public ministry. I think this impossible imagery foreshadows a world turned upside down by God's own son coming to save it. As he says, and all people will see God's salvation. This would sound impossible to the Jewish people living through this dark and tension-filled time. And this imagery from Isaiah is as impossible and as improbable as the forgiveness of sins that Jesus will come to offer. So Luke shows John preparing the way for Jesus to come, to come turn the world upside down. And during this period of active waiting, John calls on the Jewish people to repent, have this baptism for the forgiveness of sins. John was the voice of one calling in the wilderness around 29 AD. Now, it's 2021 AD, almost 2,000 years later, and we find ourselves in a period of waiting. So yes, we're in the period of Advent. We're waiting to celebrate the coming Messiah, Christ's birth, Emmanuel, God with us. But we can't ignore that we're also in a period of waiting for the pandemic to be over. And I think we're all tired of it. It's gone on much longer than any of us ever expected. And we wonder, when can we go back to living our lives fully? And I think this time of preparation in John is really appropriate to look at now in our time of Advent and our time of waiting. Because I find this to be a really strange Advent. You know, we really hope, but we don't know for sure. <laughs> but we really hope that we can be in church to celebrate together on Christmas Eve. We hope that we can celebrate Christmas Day with our friends and our family, but we hold back, right? Knowing it might be like last year, where we feel like we can't celebrate wholeheartedly because we're living through this pandemic and we're afraid. Christmas, again, to me, feels a little bit out of control and, and I don't like that feeling. I, I think it makes life harder. So 
perhaps it's a parallel to think about how the people around the Jordan must have felt when John appeared with his crazy hair and his parched lips and he called them to a new time, a new kind of baptism to prepare for the king. We too are called to repent, to ask for the forgiveness of sins while we're waiting. We're called, as the Cambridge Dictionary says, to be very, very sorry for something bad we have done in the past and wish we had not done it. And in Advent here, we're in the Sunday of peace, as Ben and Stephanie shared. We can, one way to help find this peace is owning up to our sins, acknowledging them, asking for forgiveness. This is what we can do in this time of active waiting during the period of Advent, however strange it is. But here is the good news that John the Baptist came to preach. We are promised forgiveness when we repent. Um, and I love the comfortable words that are part of the Anglican liturgy. If you could bring up the slides, how? Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with God the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the good news that John was preaching, preparing the way for Jesus to come and offer forgiveness. So we now are in Advent. We're in this time of waiting to celebrate Christ's birth and return. But we always have to remember that we know the end of the story. We know that God sent his only son to be our savior, to be our redeemer, he has come, he is come here with us, and he will come again. So we can wait with great hope, even as our sins and our lives might feel so heavy that we can't possibly relinquish them. We can wait with great hope, even knowing that the world is far from perfect and the coronavirus continues to spread and change. And we can wait with great hope while we examine our lives and repent, confident that our Emmanuel, our God with us, has come, is here, and will come. Amen.